Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. story of the transfiguration on the second Sunday of Lent. It doesn't seem exactly fitting, maybe a little out of place. I thought we were going up with Jesus to Jerusalem to die. How does this glorious story of his transfiguration on Mount Tabor fit into this journey? Well, the simple answer is it fits in uh, to Jesus's journey to Jerusalem to die because that's actually what happened in, in the order of things. This, this event of his transfiguration is sandwiched actually between two warnings that Jesus gave his disciples in, gospel, in, in Matthew's gospel about what was going to take place as they went up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Just after they come off the mountain, so I'll start with the second warning first. After they come off the mountain in the event that we just heard about in our gospel, he told him that he would suffer at the hands of the Jews just as John the Baptist had suffered. And then he says again a few verses later, he says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. On the third day, he will be raised. This is the warning after they come down off the mountain that he gives them. He also gave them a warning just before he went up on the mountain. And it is contained in the verses immediately preceding the verses we heard Uh, sung this morning. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So uh, that story, right before they go up onto the mountain, Uh, that we read about in Matthew's Gospel where he says this, is also the time when, uh, after he says this and shares this, this is the time that uh, Peter rebukes Jesus. That's famous. We all remember that. It's a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Jesus calls him Satan. It's not very nice. Um, So Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan, the chief of the apostles, he says. You're a stumbling block to me because... You're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Oh, how often do we do that? Uh, Well, that's satanic, according to Jesus. Jesus then goes on to teach them about if they want to be his disciples, they have to deny themselves and take up their cross. This is what it means to follow him. It means to deny yourself and take up your cross, just like I'm going to take up my cross. You must do the same. And that's the other famous part where he says, whoever will uh, seek to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. Then he says, when Christ returns with his angels, speaking of the second coming and the final judgment, he will reward 
each person according to what he has done. So that's the, the teaching that occurs uh, that's talked about right before we get the story of the transfiguration. And at the end of that little teaching of him predicting his death, he also predicts the transfiguration and he says, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And he's referring to what's going to happen six days later in the transfiguration. And that's where we pick up in our gospel lesson this morning. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them privately up to the mountain and he was transfigured before them. I think the event and this teaching and this encounter with Peter and Jesus and the disciples and what he said to them about the cross is key to understanding our reading of the transfiguration this morning, particularly in our context, in Holy Lent, and why we read it as we make our way to Good Friday that we might die with it. As I have said in the past, our goal in Holy Lent is to get not to Easter Sunday, but to Good Friday. <laughs> That's our part. We get to Good Friday, he'll kick us over the line to Easter Sunday. That's his job. That's the reward. The reward is Easter Sunday, which he provides. We make our way to Good Friday. We go to Good Friday that we might die with him. So why this story of the transfiguration? Why? was the transfiguration in its original context, sandwiched in between the message of him going up to the cross to Jerusalem in order to die. It was right there in the midst of it, just like it's right there in the midst of it for us right now. You know, at the end of his earthly life, just before he too would be crucified, St. Peter, who was crucified, but upside down, because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. But St. Peter in his epistle, just as he gets ready to, to die himself upon a cross, he refers to his experience of this transfiguration on Mount Tabor and of witnessing this glorious event. And he refers to this really as the source of his strength to endure the suffering that he was being called to. I've always found it fascinating, and I've mentioned this numerous times in the past, Fascinating that St. Peter refers to the transfiguration and not the resurrection for grace and strength to face his own final hour of passion. Clearly, the church appoints this reading in Lent to strengthen us in our journey to the cross. There's no doubt about that. That's why it's appointed for today. And clearly, Jesus gave the disciples this experience for the same reason. There's no doubt about that. They needed to be strengthened for what they were going to have to face when he died and they all abandoned him. To strengthen them with grace and resolve as they also would face their own cross. That's also evident as St. Peter calls this event to mind just before he himself dies upon a cross. As a brief aside, we shouldn't be confused by the fact that only three of them were taken up on the Holy Mount. The other disciples, and all the disciples of Jesus Christ through the ages, including those of us here today, we receive grace from this event through their testimony, by faith. 
We were not at his nativity. We did not witness his miracles. We did not hear his teachings. We did not see him die. We did not witness the empty tomb, his glorious body. He did not breathe on us, the Holy Spirit. We did not put his ha our hands in his scars and side and hands. And yet all of these things are every much ours as they are those who witnessed them and experienced them at the time. We know that deep in our hearts. We've received them by the word of their testimony and through faith. And they are real to us. And we possess them by the Holy Spirit. The same is true of this event of the transfiguration. My question for us this morning is why was the transfiguration so powerful for Peter till the end of his life when he was about to make his own exodus and put off his own tent? By the way, he says that in the epistle as allusions to uh, the actual story. Moses was speaking to Christ about his exodus, his passion. Moses, exodus, Christ, passion. And Peter was talking about tents. Peter brings all of this up in his epistle as he refers to this. I think if you meditate on the story a little bit, just read it carefully and slowly and think about what's really going on there. Try and put yourself there a little bit you begin to realize how really powerful and glorious this experience must have been. Moses and Elijah show up bodily. They're conversing with Christ there on this mountain. Christ is shining like the sun, so bright, you can hardly even look upon him. And it's not a natural light. This is the uncreated light of God they're witnessing, shining all around. The heavens are opened. The power of God's glory is so strong, it knocks them to the ground. They're terrified, struck with awe, beyond words, except for Peter, who's never at a loss for words. He manages to say something, even in this moment. But what Peter has to say is not really what's important. It's when the heavens open and the eternal voice from the eternal heavenly Father in heaven speaks words which they could hear in their corporal ears of his beloved and eternal son who stood before them in glorified human flesh. Now the point I want to draw out this morning for us, draw our attention to, is to why this event gives strength in the midst of our suffering, gave strength to St. Peter. Why did he refer to this event and not the resurrection as he went to face his cross, why do we have this event as our gospel lesson in the midst of Holy Lent as we make our way to the cross? The fact is that this happened before Christ died and rose from the dead. That's rather obvious, but really important to the answer to our question. This glorious event and reveal of who Jesus Christ is happened while he was still in mortal flesh, still subject to hunger, pain, loneliness, death. You know, after the resurrection, he's no longer subject to any of these human frailties and sufferings. There's no more loneliness, scourgings, no more beatings, no more hunger, no more tiredness, no more suffering, no more temptations from the wicked serpent. All these things are gone and passed. 
after the resurrection. But here, the curtain's pulled back, and we see him, we see who he is, while he has still subjected himself to these things, in the midst of them all. And the point, I think, is that in the midst of this human suffering, that he had voluntarily subjected himself to and embraced. In the midst of all of this, he is still the glorious Lord of all. What he does here is he pulls the curtain back and he shows them who he is. Even while dusty and sore and lonely and tired and scourged with whips, At the same time that all this frailty and pain is going on, he's saying, this is who I am and have never ceased to be. That doesn't make the suffering he subjected himself to a farce, by the way. The mortality and suffering were real. They weren't theatrical or simulated. That's what the heretics, certain heretics said, that they weren't real. It was just all sort of seemed that way. It was faux suffering. Appeared as suffering, but he didn't truly suffer. No, he truly suffered. But his glorious and eternal person was concurrent with his suffering person. Not two persons, it's one person. But these things are not mutually exclusive. He didn't cease being who he was when he became one of us. The transfiguration reveals to the disciples who it actually was that was going to be beaten and crucified. That's the point. He didn't become the glorious and eternal God after he rose from the dead. He was the glorious and eternal God in the midst of his suffering and pain as he hung upon the cross. They witnessed that before he rose from the dead in this event. That is is very meaningful. (laughs) That is why and how St. Peter refers to this as he draws strength to face his own cross. That's the critical point. We might ask, how can these things be true at the same time, that he has embraced our mortality, that he is man, that he hungers and dies, and that he is also the same one we see revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glorious Lord of all. Well, he was. (laughs) He was. He was both of these at the same time, and that's the truth of it. And that really is the revelation, that revelation is the source of our strength in the midst of our suffering. That we partake of his power and his glory right in the midst of our struggle. Not after. In the midst. It is through weakness that God is glorified. You know, after our resurrection, at the end, when everything gets all wrapped up, it's all over. There's no more suffering. No more pain, no more tears, no more hunger. There's just glory. But now, we need to remember the transfiguration story. To realize that the suffering servant was...
was also the glorious Lord while he was suffering. He was not anything less than that. And that is the way of the cross. <laughs> that is the path of glory. It is the only path of glory. And it's been mapped out for us by the Lord of glory, who suffered willingly out of love for us. You know, as we are struggling with so many struggles in our life, sometimes we're really confused, like we don't know what to make of it. We don't know sort of how to move forward. We're looking for answers. We want solutions. <laughs> we all want solutions to what we're going through, and we want answers to what we're going through, to our perceived problems. But that is not what we need. We do not need the kinds of answers that we think we need or that we want. We do not need the kinds of solutions that so often we ask God for. What we need is Jesus. We need Jesus. We need to be close to Christ. We need to call upon him. That's the point. Not the answer we think is going to get us out of our fix or get us out of our pain or the test or the trial or whatever it is that we're going through. We need to find Him in the time of trouble. We need to receive grace from Him until we learn this, that He is the only answer. We will just continue to just you know, go around the merry-go-round of confusion and pain until we figure that out. And God will mercifully let that happen because there is only one answer for all of us, and that is Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.